Today is the end of our August sermon series called Ben Don't Break, where we've been talking about flexibility and resilience in this time of crisis. We have talked about it sort of as a stance or a position that we take, saying, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I may bend, but I won't break. Over these last four weeks, we've talked about the importance of being adaptive and flexible as individuals and as the church. We've talked about what happens in life when everything does break, where we look around us and life is shattered. Last week, our guest preacher Amy helped us to anticipate and even expect divine breakthroughs, believing that God will cut straight to those calloused parts of our hearts. Today, we are hearing about a man whose life was changed as he encountered Jesus Christ. It's important to understand what comes before what happens here in chapter 22. In chapter 21, Paul has made his way to Jerusalem, one of the last places he felt God calling him to go. He has just visited with James and the other disciples He is almost done with seven days of purification rites, and he is in the temple. All throughout throughout Paul's journey, people have been coming after him, people that don't really like his message. So today in the temple, Jews see him and stir up a crowd, and the crowd seizes him and begins to beat him. While they're trying to kill him, news reaches the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city is in uproar over Paul. The commander and the soldiers come to Paul's rescue, literally having to carry him out of the crowd. But as the soldiers are about to take him away to be questioned, Paul turns to them and says, Can I address the crowd? In what seems like an unlikely and strange moment, he stands up. He begins to speak in Aramaic. It could have been Hebrew. Either way, the distinction is there to let us know that he spoke in a language the crowd could understand. And because of that, the crowd fell silent to listen. Paul began to tell them his conversion story. It is one that we hear about him in Acts chapter 9. He will tell it here, and then he will tell it again in Acts chapter 26. He says what we have read today in the text. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, brought up in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish teachers, I persecuted followers of Jesus to their death, arresting men and women and throwing them in prison. But this one day, I was on my way to get more people to bring them back to Jerusalem, and this bright light shone around me. A voice asked me, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I said, who are you, Lord? The voice said, I am Jesus, who you persecute. And this is important. Paul said to the voice, what should I do? And Jesus said, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Paul tells the crowd, my friends had to lead me by the hands because the light made me blind. In Acts chapter 9, we learn that he was blind for three days and did not eat or drink anything. We also know from Acts chapter 9 that Ananias is given a vision by Jesus to go and find Paul. So here Paul tells us, Ananias came to see me, and he stood beside me, and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And then he said these words, God has chosen you 
to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, and call on the name of Christ. Now in this passage, when Paul is done telling his story to the crowd, their reaction doesn't change. The mob still wants him dead. But I am wondering today how Paul's story might speak straight to our hearts. When I was 22 years old, I moved to Tennessee from Alabama, and I lived in the middle of the woods. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. The cabin that I lived in was off the road. You couldn't see it. It sat underneath these trees that blew in the wind and looked like they were bending but not breaking. It was a unique creation of a cabin, carefully crafted by a local artist. It had a secret hidden room off of the kitchen. It had a cold stone basement with a big wood-burning stove that apparently I was supposed to use to make fires throughout the night. There was a lively flowing stream behind it. There was a path out to the left that led to these rocks that you could sit on. It also had an outhouse, but that's not as glamorous to tell you. I moved to that cabin after graduating from college, and most of my life I had lived with other people. I had gone to be a recruiter for a nonprofit ministry, and in that transition, I went from living with four women at college to being completely alone for the first time in my life. That first year in the woods was one of unanticipated darkness for me. As we have talked about, when everything falls silent around us, there are emotions that arise that perhaps we have not ever tended to in life or even tried to shove down or compartmentalize. I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. I try to keep a positive attitude, but I realized for the first time in my life, I was really sad. I was confronting for the first time feelings about my lack of relationship with my father. I grieved his absence in my life, and I quickly also realized that year that my brother was very sick and for several years of his life would be fighting the disease of addiction. It felt like a season where my heart was in my throat. With these new and unwanted feelings came anger and pain. I questioned why things had to be the way they were. I wondered for the first time in my, in my life why I felt unworthy and unlovable. But it was in my questioning and my lamenting that the floodgates of my faith flew open. I poured over scripture as I never had before. I journaled thoughts and learnings. I attended church and went to Bible study. I read books about faith. And I learned that it was when I was blinded by grief, trying to feel my way through the dark, that like Paul, Jesus had some work to do on my heart. And it was in the wrestling of that year that Jesus convicted me with a stronger sense of calling and purpose. For the first time in my life, I felt like Jesus had really chosen me for the task at hand. Even though it was hard to be alone and it was hard to look at those feelings, I wanted to run away from them. If I stayed, there would, mu there would be much to be learned. I was in the right place at the right time, and Jesus had plans for my life.
Today, I believe our story is powerful because it is about the transition from darkness to light. Imagine how Paul felt experiencing total darkness for three whole days. I imagine that new unwanted feelings created anger and pain for him. I bet he questioned why things had to be the way they were. But it was in the darkness that Jesus took a hold of Paul and shaped and transformed him into a bold, faithful disciple. I wonder how many of you have experienced a darkness that created anger and pain and caused you to question why things have to be the way they are. How many of you have had seasons of feeling like your heart is in your throat? Maybe you are in that season and that darkness right now. Yet how many of us can testify to Jesus coming to us and taking a hold of us in the darkness? How many of us can witness to the increase of our faith in the midst of tears and heartache caused by others and even in the midst of devastation caused by our own sin? What we see here is the paradox of our faith. If we can hold on, death brings new life. Brokenness brings resurrection. Darkness brings light. And sometimes that darkness experience even gives us a greater sense of purpose. When everything goes dark for Paul, he turns to Jesus and says, What should I do? Jesus says, get up, go to Damascus, and that is where you will learn what you are to do. In other words, it is in the darkness that Paul receives his assignment. And so when everything goes dark for us, we can turn to Jesus and say, what should I do, Lord? We don't have to come up with the answers by ourselves. We don't have to muster up strength that we don't have. We do not have to play Savior. We can seek the wisdom and discernment of Jesus, calling on his name, trusting that he will lead us forward. You see, out of the darkness, we too will receive our assignments. I do not believe that Jesus causes the darkness in our lives, but I wholeheartedly believe that if we fix our eyes on him in the midst of it, we will see that good can come out of the darkness. We will see that Jesus has plans for our darkness. We will find that resilience to be able to say, I may bend, but I won't break. And today, Paul shows us that part of that plan of the darkness is for us to share our story of Jesus' power. The entirety of Acts is about disciples who witness to the work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, Paul is completing years of moving from place to place, facing hardship and angry people, but nothing stops him from telling the good news, not even the threat of death. And so, like Paul, you have a story to tell. Jesus has captivated your attention or changed your life or you would not be here. There is an experience within you that will give someone else the courage and the strength to keep pressing on until the light breaks in. What I love about this passage is the urgency with which Ananias tells Paul to share his story. 
He says, receive your sight, get up, be baptized, accept your sins, forgive yourself, move on with life. What are you waiting for? We too have but one brief life to live. We must live it with urgency and purpose and conviction. And so today I want to ask you, how is Jesus calling you to save other people by telling your story? Earlier this summer, my husband Mark and I spent a good two weeks playing in a cardboard box with our son Lewis, who was about two years old. He was given a gift for his birthday, but of course the box was the gift that kept on giving. When it was sitting upright, Lewis and I could actually fit in the bottom of the box together. He loved for us to get really low and close the top so that we were sitting in the darkness. We would count to three, and then we would pop open and say, hey! One night, we had just finished exploring the Fruit of the Spirit bags that Miss Gracie gave to all of our children this summer. In the peace bag, there was a tea light that I taught him how to flicker on and off. There was also a glow stick. He had never seen one before. His eyes lit up as I bent it, and it made those snapping sounds. I shook it up, and he watched it come to life. We sat in the bottom of that box as wonder filled his mind, watching the tea light and the glow stick illuminate our darkness. It was in that moment that I realized that the glow stick was the perfect takeaway for our sermon series. It has to be bent and broken to give off light. Somehow, it is true for us. When we have been bent and broken in the darkness and survived its chaos, we give off a new light. We are transformed from a hollow tube of a person to a beacon of hope for someone else. Like Paul, out of the bending and the breaking of our lives comes a new way of seeing and a new way of living. And so Ananias' words are as true for you and me today as they were for Paul then. God has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness for all you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Amen.